Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the Rattle Podcast here in the 2019 season of the Arizona Diamondbacks. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, alongside Jeff Weiser. And Jeff, here in our second week on the Rattle Podcast, it's good to be back on the show. I feel compelled to tell our listeners very quickly here at the beginning of the show that I am not in my normal uh, recording studio by any means. I am actually at the top of an Italian mountain at the moment uh, near my Airbnb. I'm on spring break uh, studying abroad in Europe. So there's my life story of the last few months in about 30 seconds. Um, But uh, for those of you who are wondering why I'm not necessarily uh, on board live tweeting every game like I normally am, it's because those games are happening at around 3 a.m. my time pretty much all of the time. Uh, So I wanted to get that out there uh, very quickly just so all of you are aware I am still dialed in with the team as much as I possibly can be, but some of my commentary is is going to have to come a little bit after the games happen just because of the time zone difference. Uh, But with that, let's go ahead and jump into some Diamondbacks talk. Uh, Jeff, as we speak, this team is 8-9. and They are in third place in the National League West Division. Of course, things still very, very early, uh, so not exactly analyzing the standings too closely at this point. Uh, But the Diamondbacks are coming off a couple of good wins. Um, a good one last night against the Atlanta Braves, 9-6, to a big comeback win. They fell behind three runs, uh, wound up uh, being able to come back in, in a pretty heroic fashion against the Atlanta Braves bullpen, which really just melted down. Christian Walker uh, had three hits in the game, a big home run in the ninth inning. Uh, Jeff, let's just talk general uh, things about the Diamondbacks here to start the show. What have you seen from this team over the last week? Are there any, uh, any things that have stuck out to you about this team so far? Yeah, I think in our first show, we were really remarking on uh, how well the team was scoring runs, and, and that sort of dried up a little bit in the series against the Padres um, outside of the last game of the series. So they kind of struggled a little bit there, had an off day, and then uh, the bats you know, kind of got hot again there um, yesterday against uh, in, in the first game against Atlanta. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if uh, it's as much of a standout thing as much as maybe like we talked about, you know, some things would even out over time and, and some of that is starting to take place. And, um, you know, Christian Walker was hot, cold, hot again. <laughs> uh, you know, sounds like, sounds like life is a big leaguer. So, um, yeah, so just kind of, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of a return to normalcy with some of the, the fluctuation there. Quick thing on Christian Walker. I want to jump into, I think we actually talked last week a little bit about is his start, uh, sustainable. Of course, he, he came yeah. on extremely strong at the beginning of the year. You look at uh, barrel rates across the league. For those who don't know, um, a barrel rate, Jeff, you can probably explain this better than I can, but it's basically the ideal batted ball, uh, hit hard and right. at an appropriate launch angle. And Christian Walker is at 15.8% barrel rate um, through an albeit very young 17-game season, but that is eighth in all of baseball, do you think there's maybe something to Christian Walker being able to sustain this based on a number like that? You know, it's a good question. I've actually not ever studied um, like the predictability of, of barrels. I just know that the leaderboard, you know, oftentimes tends to look like who you'd think would be there. Um, right. Which in a, in a rudimentary way, kind of tells us that, that, it doesn't really happen by accident. Um, I do think that he has kind of a, a swing that's geared towards producing that kind of power. And so 
it was interesting. They, you know, when he hit his home run yesterday, um, they replayed the swing, uh, like from sort of like from the dugout angle and you could really see it. And, you know, we don't say it about a lot of right-handers, but he does kind of have like a pretty right-handed swing. He does. Um, he does. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's got bat speed, you know, there's your exit velocity. He's got a little bit of a, a little bit of an uppercut. Um, the bat path is, is kind of designed to launch. So, so there's kind of your launch angle. So, um, I'm not sure statistically, you know, how much, you know, one should bet on it, but I think, you know, kind of matching up what we're seeing along with the eye test, I think there's some sustainability there. One not so good thing that happened to the Diamondbacks over this last week. Uh, you mentioned the San Diego Padres bats running a little bit dry in that series. The Diamondbacks lost, uh, the first three games of that series against the Padres all by one run. And, right. and Jeff, this is something that I think has become maybe just a little bit of a storyline. I know I know one run games are going to fluctuate season to season. I think a lot of times you have good teams who do well in one run games. You have good teams who do poorly in one run games. I think these things are just always fluctuating. Um, but I looked at, at the Diamondbacks performance in one run games since the start of last season and they're 23 and 36. And for a team that over that span is one game over 500 overall, do you think there's maybe something to that? I don't know exactly what the conclusion would be if it's Tori Lovello maybe not, um, you know, putting the Diamondbacks in the best possible position to win those games. If you want to make that argument, I'm not sure exactly what the best conclusion is. But do you think there's something more than just natural fluctuation to the Diamondbacks' uh, very poor performance in those in those types of games over the last year or so? You know, it's funny you bring that up because I almost wrote about that uh, this week, and I I may return to it, but I sort of had a hard time wrapping my head around um, one-run games in the sense that not all one-run games are created equal. Right. Like you could have a you could have a seven-run lead, um, you know, in the seventh inning, and put in you know some guys just to like soak up innings and watch a team like crawl back on you, and that's a one-run game. And then you can have games like we saw some of the ones against the Padres where, you know, they're literally losing like two to one. Um, it's a tight game. You know, it's tight all the way through. So I still need to think about how to strip some of that out. But, um, you know, I have seen, you know, people kind of, you know, come calling for Tory a little bit uh, in regard to his management in a one run game. And, you know, he was pretty open in saying that he thinks he still has some improving as a manager to do in those kinds of situations. And, and I think there's definitely something to that. Um, you know, some of the bullpen decisions have been a little questionable, um, you know, choosing when to deploy certain guys. And so, you know, I think, I think there's a, a fair bit of criticism there. Um, I'd like to dig a little deeper because, uh, criticizing a bullpen is also tough. Like you have to take into account like who pitched, two straight days before that, you know, and those kinds of things. So, hmm. um, it's, it's not so cut and dry. I think when you're, when you're like, you know, the manager and you've got to think about, okay, well, I'd really like to use this guy right now, but he's pitched three of the last four days. Um, so that, that could be a little tough, but I do think there might be something to this and I'd, I'd like to investigate it a little more deeply. And, but to hear Tori come out and say that, that he's made some mistakes leads me to believe there's definitely something there. And, you know, luckily he seems to be at least aware of it. Speaking of fans calling out Tori Lovello, I think this has been kind of a continued storyline over the last few years is the fact that the Diamondbacks continue 
to ruthlessly carry three catchers on this roster pretty much regardless <laughs> of the age of those catchers, regardless of really any kind of external factor that you can try to pin this on. The Diamondbacks seem to be very committed to this strategy of using three catchers no matter what the situation. Even after Alex Avila went down, the Diamondbacks dug in the farm system and brought up another catcher from AAA, uh, Tommy Joseph, who I believe is 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 catching tonight for the D-backs. Um, Jeff, I'm curious what your perspective is on this. I, I personally have never completely understood the reasoning. I think you can maybe uh, justify it a little bit better a couple years ago when the Diamondbacks had Jeff Mathis and Chris Iannetta. And, you know, that's those are two pretty, uh, pretty old guys uh, later uh, in the stages of their careers. And I think it makes sense to you know, try to get those guys a couple extra days off here and there. But now that you have, you know, Carson Kelly coming over from the St. Louis Cardinals and filling, in theory, a decent number of of these catching outings, and you also have John Ryan Murphy, who is also a pretty young guy, it, it just doesn't seem to make as much sense. And this is something that Zach Buchanan of The Athletic wrote a really good article on. Uh, For those of you who are subscribed to The Athletic, I would highly recommend you go read that. Um, But I'm curious, Jeff, what do you think about the Diamondbacks continuing to carry three catchers regardless of the situation that they're in? Yeah, it's still a little puzzling. Um, I think think it's an odd tactic, and I think Zach noted very well that when rosters expand as expected to um, to 26, like we may see this more commonly in baseball. Um, but, but under the current constraints, like it still feels a little weird. Um, I know that the, the organization really, really likes John Ryan Murphy's, um, like defensive and framing numbers specifically, um, his ability to receive. And he's a guy that has no more minor league options. He can't be sent down if he gets, you know, he has to be DFA'd and exposed to waivers. And I don't think they want to lose him. Uh, and they still have, you know, plenty of team control over him. So um, I think they really want to keep him. Obviously, Carson Kelly is part of the long-term plan. And yet they're still kind of stuck with Alex Avila. Um, so so I think that, you know, to me, that seems like the natural reason of why they would, would carry three catchers. Although, as you noted, when Avila went down, they decided to call up Joseph. That was pretty puzzling. Like that one yeah. didn't quite square with me. I was surprised by that. Jeff just recently wrote an article, for those of you who haven't seen, a very good post about the Diamondbacks' um, upcoming first-year player draft, which comes in June. And for those of you who may be more down on the team this season as far as the on-field product and and maybe being a bit of a long shot to make a postseason run, I think Jeff made a great point in that article that this summer is going to be huge for this team. And for those of you who want the full story, be sure to go to the rattle.net read uh, read the entire article. It's a great piece. gives a lot of detailed information. Uh, but Jeff, I, I want to ask you here on the show as well, what is it yeah. about this offseason that makes, or, or not this offseason, but this summer that is so important for the Diamondbacks in their future? Yeah, I mean, they're in a position, right, where they have the largest draft pool of any team uh, in the draft. And typically, the team with the biggest draft pool is, is usually a team that picks, you know, first, or, you know, maybe second or third. But generally, it's a team that's picking at the very top. Dimebacks' first pick isn't until 16th overall. So it's mm-hmm. a bit of a, a weird spot. It's it's kind of uncharted territory in a way. So they have this huge financial lever of having a ton of picks. They have like nine picks in the, you know, first 
100. Um, and so they just, you know, after, um, you know, losing uh, Corbin, losing Pollock, like they got additional picks for that. They got a compensation pick for um, failing to sign Matt McClain. So they're just loaded with picks, and all those picks have um, the bonus pool dollars attached. So their pool is is just huge. So it's really a it's really an opportunity for them to add a lot of talent um, to the minor league system, you know, through the draft. And they also qualify for, um, I believe, you know, the top of the international signing uh, pool amounts too. So between the draft and the July 2nd signing period for international players, they should be able to add a, you know, just like a real haul, like the kind of haul that um, doesn't ever come around. Like this is a a once in a, you know, you don't want to say once in a lifetime, but almost a once in a lifetime, you know, type of situation for them. And if you're looking really like long-term, like how do the Diamondbacks succeed? It's got to be like this. I mean, they're not going to spend like some of the other teams. So right. this is their way of, of really trying to kind of level the playing field for themselves. I think an interesting question that we were asked by one of our listeners, uh, AZ High Sports Guy at DRich8 Mesa, um, he asked the question, what are people saying about the talent in this year's draft with the D-backs having all the draft capital that they do, which Jeff, of course, you just mentioned, does this year's talent warrant excitement for restocking on high-end talent? And I think that's a, that's a great question because, you know, like you're talking about, this is a great opportunity for the Diamondbacks to restock. But frankly, you, you can only get the size haul that the draft is going to give you, you know, that, that the draft right. class is capable of offering you. Um, and so, Jeff, what is your sense early on about this draft class and, and how much of a haul do you think this is really going to be for the Diamondbacks when it's all said and done based on that? Yeah, the draft itself is is kind of noted for being really shallow uh, on pitching and specifically college pitching. So this is like one of the worst years recently for um, for pitching in the draft. And, and I think that's that's a little tough. Um but it makes up for it with with a lot of bats, and particularly, I, I think there's like a, a pretty high consensus on there being a lot of quality in high school bats. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Diamondbacks, you know, try to go that route. Um, if we think about some of the waves that they have coming through the system, right? Like there's um, there's a bulk of a bulk of guys kind of at uh, like Double A Jackson, um, the Dalton Varshows, Jazz Chisholm's of the world um, are there, and then it kind of skips a little bit like at high Vesalia right now, the roster is not very strong and then it picks up again, kind of down towards Kane County. And, um, we'll probably get a little stronger as the, as the season goes on and guys get moved from extended, uh, up to Kane County. So they're going to look to kind of probably build another wave behind that through this draft. And I think the high school bats might be where they go. Um, they were recently in on, uh, Washington state high school prospect Corbin Carroll, um, some big names from the front office were there to see him recently, and they actually skipped. Um, uh, they actually skipped some of the staff members skipped the national high school invitational to come see Corbin Carroll uh, perform, while you know most of the rest of baseball was at the national high school invitational. So he's clearly a guy that they're invested in, um, you know, and considering. Does he fall to 16? Can kind of manipulate the situation to get a guy like that to 16th overall? Um, you know, the hard part with all that money is that they don't have a pick at the top. So 
you know, trying to think about what kind of haul they get, they have to really still like wait and see kind of what falls to them. And there are some ways that they can try to manipulate that. And, and, and I wrote about that a bit, but you still need like 15 other teams ahead of you to, you know, participate, you know, and kind of fall in line so that you can make something like that happen. And, um, that's really, really hard to do. Uh, so I don't think there are really any guarantees, but I, I do think that they'll probably mix and match a bit with, um, probably a lot of offensive players, uh, and probably get a mixture of, of college and high school guys. But I think up at the top, I would not be surprised to see them kind of go the high school route. A new segment we kind of want to add in here to the Rattle podcast, uh, especially now that we have uh, Jeff with us here on the show, is to give Jeff a few moments to simply talk about the Diamondbacks farm system, which he is very dialed into. Um, I think he is probably one of the better follows that there is if you want to uh, stay up to date on the Diamondbacks farm system. Lots of good information for, of, of really just day-to-day uh, type of information about how players are performing in the Diamondbacks minor league system. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to give you a few minutes. Go ahead and take it away and, and take us through some of the uh, some of the bigger names in the Diamondbacks farm system. Who is starting out the season well and, and who has struggled here in the early going? Yeah, I mean, uh, I you know morning coffee time. I usually start my day off with some some hashtag D-backs minors tweets. There you go. Um, <laughs> combing through the box scores. So uh, if someone's interested in that, you can you can always find sort of, you know, generally speaking, the, the previous day's action. Um, but, yeah, there are some guys that are standing out, you know, some in good ways, some in maybe not such good ways. Um, you know, Jazz Chisholm was named by some outlets as, as the team's top prospect, and he's been off to a really, really slow start in double-A. Um, after really, you know, ending the season strong at AA a year ago. So uh, he's had a really rough go of it. I think he was hitting like, um, like 065 when I looked this morning. Um, he had like, yeah, he has like two hits on the year. I mean, he's got a homer and a double, um, but he's struck out a ton, you know, hasn't really walked. So, so he's off to, to a pretty slow start, um, which is unfortunate. Um, a guy I'm really, a, a couple of guys I'm actually really high on is um, shortstop Geraldo Perdomo. Uh, he kind of popped up last year at the complex level and then made it to short season and really shined. Um, he's holding his own at uh, full season ball in Kane County. He's walked more than he struck out, and he's uh, and notching his hits. Um, and a guy who's definitely sort of like under the radar, uh, but I think might have a chance to contribute at the big league level is um, a second baseman, third baseman, uh, Jose Caballero, who is currently um, – I believe in high A Visalia. So he's a guy that I don't think a lot of people know, but I got to see him play a lot in Hillsboro and he's just sort of the grinder type. Um, went three for three last night and stole three bases. Uh, just kind of a, a do it all kind of guy. He's, he's pretty smooth defensively and could end up being sort of a, like an infield bench player down the line. So um, I definitely, definitely like him. Uh, and then, you know, on the pitching side, it's been a little up and down. Like Taylor Clark's had some good starts and bad starts. Uh, Taylor Widener, you know, similarly, he's had some things not go well. So, you know, it's kind of hard to evaluate guys pitching in AAA Reno. Um, kind of hate to come down on them when they have a bad outing. So uh, it's tough. And and I think one of the other things we have to keep in mind is the weather is really bad in a lot of parts of the country right now. Um, <laughs> and especially like, right? Like, I mean, Imagine playing in Kane County. We've, we've had this, you know, crazy winter weather in April um, all over the Midwest. Um, 
Then it's even been really cold in Reno for the AAA guys. So, you know, it's eh, some slow starts, eh, you know, just kind of stay posted on some of that. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of keep digging in. Um, you know, Dalton Varsha is doing his thing. And, you know, no one's really stood out in a, in a massive way, except for, I might say, and Jesse, don't, don't get mad at me for bringing this up, but Yasmani Tomas is not actually doing terrible. No, he's, he's <laughs> doing quite well. I saw some numbers today. He is absolutely mashing down at AAA. He walked twice in one game um, wow. last night. And, and I don't know the circumstances, but um, it happened. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's fun to keep track of. Um, I'm really excited to see this year's draft and the international signings and kind of see, like, what that next next group looks like. Um, there's some talented guys, you know, down in extended spring training that will, you know, make their way up soon. A guy like Matt Tabor is a guy that I'm, you know, kind of waiting for, and I think he'll jump to Kane County pretty soon. And then – uh, Christian Robinson hasn't been assigned. He's also still at extended spring training. And I'm curious to see if they jump him up to full season ball here at some point um, and move him to, to Kane County or they kind of take it slow with him and, and move him maybe to like short season Hillsborough when that um, when that league starts in June. And that would not be a bad thing for me because I live about 15 miles from Hillsborough. So uh, either way, you know, it'll be exciting. And um, I'm happy to kind of, you know, keep tabs on this. And it's just something I do like more days than not. So this will be a good place to sort of summarize and just kind of keep people abreast of what's going on. We've got some other listener questions to get to in a second. But I do want to jump back to your comment about the one, the only Osmani Tomas, uh, <laughs> El Tanque, who plays uh, for the AAA Reno Aces. I think this is this is a really interesting story because – the Diamondbacks, when Mike Hazen and company took over here, they very quickly uh, retracted Yasmani Tomas's playing time to the point that he really hasn't seen any major league time at all. Um, and, I, and I think to, to some point, I, I think a lot of Diamondbacks fans had a lot of respect for Mike Hazen doing that because, you know, they're paying him a lot of money. Last year, he was the highest paid minor league baseball player in in the country. He was It was literally Yasmani Tomas. Yes. Yes. And, and that's a that's a bad look for a baseball team. But Mike Hazen was not faced by that. He tried to do what he thought was best for the Diamondbacks on the field. And he felt that the best thing to do was to leave Yasmani Tomas in AAA. But you talk about these numbers that he is putting up this season. He's hitting almost 400. Uh, he's showing forth the power that we've seen in the past. Obviously, this is AAA Reno. It's a hitter-friendly environment in general, so you, you normally have to take these numbers with a grain of salt. But what exactly does Yasmani Tomas have to do in order to earn a shot again? I mean, I, I just don't know. Like, is he, Does he have to hit 450 in order to get called back up? It, it, it just seems like he's dead weight in the Diamondbacks minor league system, and I'm just not sure what the Diamondbacks are waiting for in terms of calling him back up. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think he's a guy that could see playing time if down the line the organization decides to like really pull the plug um, yeah. on this notion of competing. And I, I think that's honestly what it would take um, for him to get a shot. You know, they they could they could certainly do it. You know, and hope to you know recoup some kind of value. And you know, even if they're selling for pennies on the dollar, at least you know move him out of the way. That's probably the best bet, you know. Otherwise, he's just continue to be um, the highest paid minor league baseball player, you know, <laughs> living it up in the the biggest little city in America, in in, in Reno, Nevada. So, 
that might be the best bet, but you know, I mean, he's doing his thing now. I mean, if he can, if he can keep it up, you know, maybe, maybe they give him a look. I, I think a big piece of it is their feeling about his motivation and how hard he's willing to work and what he's willing to do. And is he really willing to try to improve? And, you know, I think, um, you know, it's always hard to talk about the character of someone you don't know, but I can imagine that being sent to AAA and, and, you know, at his salary with his expectations of what he expected when he signed with the Diamondbacks, Hmm. you know, probably was not the easiest pill to swallow. Um, you know, there's two ways to kind of, you know, face that adversity. And so it's kind of up to him. I think the cards are sort of in his hands and he's going to have to do more than just kind of post like good numbers. I mean, he's really going to have to like earn the trust of the organization that that he's committed to trying to be the best you know baseball player he can be i know something that's always been interesting for me with yasmani tomas is at least entering this season it it very well could be different now with the numbers he's put up but entering this season uh, he has actually put up better offensive numbers at the major league level in his career than he has in triple a and and i think it lines up with uh, the the storyline that maybe Yasmani Tomas in AAA loses a little bit of that motivation doesn't necessarily have the drive that he does when he's at the big league level. Um, so don't want to don't want to jump too much into the Tomas situation, but I think that was a, a really interesting thing that you brought up. Um, moving along, um, we got a couple other interesting questions that I think kind of fit hand in hand. Um, David Carbohal Jr. sent us a question. He invites us to fast forward. It's before the All-Star break, he says, and the Diamondbacks are not looking close to making the playoffs. He asks, will they deal Robbie Ray and David Peralta? And the flip side of this question comes from AZ High Sports Guy, um, who asked one of our questions earlier in the show. Um, He asked about the Diamondbacks' extension um, their their plans, I guess, with when it comes to extensions, do they want to bring Nick Ahmed back uh, at a more long term deal? Do they want to do um, Jake Lamb? Do they want to bring him back? David Peralta, Robbie Ray um, were some names that he brought up. I think these questions kind of go hand in hand because obviously, you know, you're either going to trade him or you're going to extend him, or I guess you can also just kind of keep uh, some of these guys until uh, they they finish up their contracts here in Arizona, but. Jeff, what what is your perspective on the kinds of players that you think the Diamondbacks would look to deal if they were out of contention? And which which are the guys that you think they would look to try to extend and keep here long term? Yeah, it's funny, right? We're like on uh we've got two sides of the same coin. Like which which guys do you trade and which guys do you keep? And um, you know, the question seems to sort of center around the same names, uh, which is just an interesting position to be in. If that doesn't tell you something about, you know, where the Diamondbacks are as an organization right now, I don't know what does. Um, (laughs) It's just a little awkward. But uh, no, I mean, it's a good question. Um, And I think I'll I'll try to kind of speak to both pieces. But um, I think when we look at sort of the extension, you know, landscape of of what's going on, we're we're typically seeing those, you know, outside of, you know, Mike Trout, um, you know, mostly being guys that are, uh, pre-arbitration. So it's an attempt for the organization to kind of lock in prices, not play the arbitration game. Um, and then, you know, snag a couple of free agent years. Uh, that boat has sailed with Nick Ahmed, David Peralta, Robbie Ray, those kinds of guys. So, you know, I, I don't think, I honestly don't really think they're great extension candidates. Um, you know, Peralta's almost 32. Um, Nick Ahmed just turned 29, but he has two years of team control left. Uh, 
you know, what's, what's going to happen there? I mean, he becomes a free agent and is he a guy that you're really afraid you can't afford? Like, I don't know. So Hmm. it's, it's a little bit of a, of a tough spot. Um, you know, and then I think like Robbie Ray, you know, as we said last time, like Robbie Ray is always going to be the guy that seems like one step away. Well, (laughs) until he really takes that step, like, I don't see why the Diamondbacks would, you know, expose themselves, you know, and risk, um, kind of getting locked into something there. So, you know, I don't, I don't really think any of them are, are great extension candidates. And I, I just kind of look up and down the roster and I, I don't really see those guys on this roster. I mean, this roster is not nearly as young as it once was. Um, I'm not sure it's really, I'm not sure they're really the right team for that at the moment, which again, maybe comes back to some of the minor league stuff and, and thinking about the draft. Um, but selling wise, I mean, definitely, I think you could find takers for guys like Peralta, Ahmed, Ray, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, should things, you know, not, not go well, can you get for them what you want? That's, that's kind of hard to say, but there are, there are cost controlled assets. And, um, I think there would be a number of teams that would be interested. I don't know what Arizona would, would really want in return. Um, you know, they're, they're probably at that point, if they get there, you know, going to be looking for some younger, you know, younger assets to try to develop. And, uh, Paul Goldschmidt's situation was complicated. You know, he was only guaranteed to, you know, play for the Cardinals for a year, um, albeit at a, at a modest salary. Um, we saw the return there and I think, you know, while I think the return was, was justified, you know, some people probably felt like it was a little light, you know, what do you think someone's going to give you for one or two years of Nick Ahmed? What do you think someone's going to give you for one or two years of David Peralta? Like, I don't know that the returns are going to be that big and, you know, maybe the Diamondbacks continue to hold on to them. It's really murky. Like there's, and I think that's why we get the question, you know, phrased kind of both ways, right? Like who do you keep or who, who goes? Because there's not really a clear path with any of them. But um, if the Diamondbacks really were to like pull the plug, I could see, see those guys definitely being, uh, trade bait more quickly than I could see them being extension candidates. Yeah, I think I agree. I think the Diamondbacks are in a very interesting and and I think some people would consider it an unfortunate position being stuck almost in the middle. I, I think obviously it's it's probably too early to categorize the Diamondbacks as a as a you know middling type of team, but I think that's what they were projected to be, and and so far they've they've kind of lived up to that expectation. And I agree, you look up and down this roster, there really isn't anyone that strikes me as someone you want to extend when you're, you know, when you're looking to extend a player, you're looking to, um, to basically salvage years that you wouldn't have otherwise at a price that you think is better than what you would get in free agency. And, and I just don't, like you were saying, I, I just don't really see that with any of these guys. The Diamondbacks don't have a lot of players on their roster who came up um, who started their major league careers at a very, very young age. And because of that, a lot of these guys are going to be into their 30s already by the time they hit free agency. And I think they're guys who are, you know, they're they're good players. They've, they've had some good careers, some good moments um, here in Arizona, but I don't think they're necessarily guys that um, you would miss a, a whole lot if they were to leave. And, and the guys who you do want to bring back, I think the Diamondbacks probably feel confident that they would be able to do so in in free agency without having to extend players in advance um uh, another right. question that they kind of yeah actually go go ahead jeff yeah no i was gonna say like the best extension candidate on the roster is probably Cattell Marte. yeah who was 
already extended. Right. Uh, so I mean, it kind of kind of makes that point, right? And I mean, if we look up and down the roster and just like the ages of players, I mean, Carson Kelly, I believe, is the youngest player on the roster. He's almost twenty five. You look at like a guy like Yon Lopez. You're like, oh man, look at this kid coming up. Yon Lopez is you know twenty six. I mean, he's not a kid anymore. So right. Um, yeah, I just like you said, I, I don't know that they're you know it's the roster is really built in that in that way to really capitalize on on sort of this rash of extensions we've seen. Another question we got, this one is from at AZ Axel. He asks us, what are the major areas the Diamondbacks need to improve or shore up in order to remain in contention or at least a 500 team? I think this is uh, an interesting one. Uh, obviously, probably something that a lot of a lot of people are asking, what, what exactly are the Diamondbacks going to need to do in order to maybe try to push uh, for something more than just a, a middling finish here in 2019. For me, I think the answer is is pretty simple early on in the season. I think their offense has been fine. I think their defense is not as spectacular as it once was, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be a liability for them either. I think their pitching is really the key to success for the Diamondbacks this season. Um, and so far, it has not been good. The Diamondbacks have allowed... I believe still the second most runs in the National League to this point. Their pitching has not been a strength so far. Uh, hopefully, Zach Godley and his start in in just about an hour or so against the Atlanta Braves as we record right now. Uh, hopefully, in that start, he's able to figure some things out. But he has not looked good so far this season. Uh, wow. Robbie Ray has been a little bit up and down, shown flashes here and there, but has not been consistent. As we talked about last week, uh, Zach Granke has had some good moments, but he's also given up a whole lot of home runs early on in this season. I think these, this Diamondback starting rotation is filled with names that we've seen uh, perform well in the past. Um, and I think we know that the, the potential is there and, and the ceiling is there for some of these guys to get back to where they were before. But I don't think the Diamondbacks are going anywhere this season unless several of those guys are, are able to, to put up those kind of numbers again all at the same time here in 2019 yeah i totally agree that's that's where the most um immediate room for growth or improvement is is, is really there um probably in the rotation and you know even in the bullpen a little bit i mean they kind of are what they are um but you know they could perform a little bit better you know specifically archie bradley is a guy that really needs to to kind of continue to push forward so right for, for them for them to really you know do more than they are um i mean i think they've kind of got the like 500 ish thing covered right. um <laughs> so i mean not not just because they're you know eight and nine right now but because i think that's just kind of where their talent is uh but you know can they can they make more of a run yeah they're going to need some starters to get hot We've got one more question that I want to jump into here in this episode of the Rattle AZ High Sports Guy also uh, wants to know about Ruby De La Rosa, uh, which I think is a, a really interesting question. He's a guy who I actually kind of expected out of spring training to make this team. He was pitching very well in spring training for a while. He did fall back a little bit toward the toward the latter part of spring training, so maybe the Diamondbacks had some concerns there, wanted to at least start him at the AAA level instead of starting him at the major league level. But I think Ruby De La Rosa is a guy who a lot of people have probably forgotten about. Um, I think it was all the way back in 2016 now that he that he put up decent numbers over the course of a full season, but wasn't particularly an above-average pitcher, but probably just around average or, or a little bit below average, but by all means a guy who 
you could you could give him the ball every fifth day and, and he would keep you in the game in general. But I, I think now that you have Ruby De La Rosa in the bullpen, I think he's become a completely different animal in some ways because he's able to rev up the velocity into the upper 90s. Uh, he has a, a wipeout pitch that I think could be could really play late in games potentially. Um, Jeff, what do you think about Ruby De La Rosa potentially getting an opportunity to have a, a decent sized role with the Diamondbacks at some point this year? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a great candidate for it. Um, you know, you'd ask kind of earlier, like, what's it going to take for Yasmani Tomas to get another shot? And they're clearly in different circumstances. Um, but Ruby De La Rosa is, you know, kind of a guy too. Like, what's the threshold? Like, he's not on the 40 man roster. So someone has to get removed, and there are plenty of guys that they they probably could remove pretty safely, um, you know, and be just fine. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, really the concern there is like basically his elbow, and how much do you need to see before you trust the elbow? Because um, <laughs> the like you said, the stuff is there. You know, upper nineties heater. He's got a wipeout slider. Um, just let him throw those two pitches is probably what's best for him, uh, and so. You know, you also think about it in the sense that, like, if he's going to get hurt again, like, the clock is ticking. Um, and, you know, hopefully he never gets hurt again. But if he does, there's, like, a finite number of pitches he's going to throw before uh, before it goes. And so <laughs> do you want him throwing those pitches in Reno or do you want him throwing those pitches uh, in Phoenix? So right. I don't I don't know. I mean – in, in that regard, like if, if that was really a concern, I could see him actually coming up like pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely probably a role for him. Um, you know, young Lopez has been pretty good. He did surrender his first, um, his first earned run of the season yesterday, but you know, he's, his, his results have been good. The process and how he's gotten some of those outs has been a little shaky. Um, but you know, could, if they, you know, soured a little bit there, he's a guy that, you know, a guy like De La Rosa could probably come up and you could send a guy like Lopez down. Um, so there's, there's definitely some options and I, I, I'm really, I know that, you know, everyone's gonna, you know, really jump on his bandwagon if he makes it back. Cause you know, I think, I think fans everywhere like that comeback story, but in Arizona, they seem to, to really gravitate towards it. And, and he's a pretty easy guy to root for. So I'm really hoping they get him back um, probably sooner than later. And, and I don't really – it's hard to say, you know, like uh, we're not seeing his his performances in Reno. But if they look like he looked, you know, spring, he's probably not far away. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have here for the second edition of the Rattle Podcast here in 2019. It has been my pleasure once again, as always, to host the show. I'm Jesse Friedman alongside Jeff Weiser. Thank you again so much for listening. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at, at the Rattle AZ if you have not done so already. As of this week, we are also on Facebook, so be sure to follow us there as well. You can find us at facebook.com slash, once again, the Rattle AZ. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will see you once again next week for more talk on the 2019 Arizona Diamondbacks.